You're listening to Small But Mighty, the podcast of the Small Nonprofits Alliance, the online hub for Australia's small charities. Hey everyone, I'm Bianca Crocker, founder of the Small Nonprofits Alliance. I'm delighted to have with me today Liz Dawes, founder of the Robert Connor Dawes Foundation. Liz grew up in a small town in Wisconsin in the USA, but has lived in Australia with her family since the late 90s. She is the recipient of multiple community awards and was nominated for Australian of the Year in 2017. Two years ago, she was named the Finn Review's 100 Women of Influence, an incredible achievement not only for any businesswoman, but for one working in the charity sector in particular. Liz is the CEO of the Robert Connor Dawes Foundation, an organisation she founded after her son sadly passed away from brain cancer in 2013. Liz is an inspiration to many and a true advocate for paediatric brain cancer, both in Australia and the US. So delighted to have her with us today on our podcast. Hi Liz, how are you? Good. Hello Bianca. Thank you for inviting me. No worries at all. Thanks so much for joining us. I, um, I, I've heard, as I mentioned earlier to you before we started the interview, that you know I've been following your story and the story of your foundation for a few years now, and I think the work that you've been doing is is marvelous. So I'm so excited to have you on the podcast today and to be able to share your story and um, and and the work of your organisation in memory of your in memory of your son. Um, so first of all, something we like to always ask our our um, people that we have on the on on Small But Mighty is, what does being small but mighty mean to your organisation? Well, I think we're we can define who we want to be. I think in many ways that's been very liberating. I don't come from the NFP space. Uh, you can hear from my accent, uh, I'm from the U.S., our family's American, but we've lived in Australia for 20 years. And I had a long career in sales and marketing in the manufacturing sector. So I'm, I'm coming at this probably with a different mindset, uh, and I think that's been advantageous. Um, so a small but mighty it means we're not bureaucratic. We are very nimble. We're very flexible. We rely on our creativity and trying to do things a little bit differently, and we celebrate that. So while we are growing and now needing to put in more processes and structure just to manage our growth and to try to you know, support the projects we're funding and try to do a good job with the events we're having, I don't want to lose sight of that. Uh, so, yeah, I hope no matter what size we are, uh, we are still nimble on our feet. Yeah, that's that's a great um, a great description, and it's not that uncommon that that definitely when I talk about small organisations, some some of the um, superpowers I guess of them is that they do have um, you know they do have the ability to be nimble and um, and more agile, which is which is they definitely can use to their advantage, which is good. One um, one just on that one area and I know that all entrepreneurs people starting businesses have to deal with this in the beginning you are everything so I, I started this with uh, a close family friend who helped us with our marketing and for the first couple years along with volunteers that were helping us but we by and large did all of it 
Uh, now that we're getting bigger, I'm having to relinquish some of those responsibilities. And it is wonderful. Because, <laughs> uh, I know we'll talk about Connor's run, but for the first five years, I did all the customer service on Connor's run. So people who were registering, having trouble, wanting to change their T-shirt size. You know, you can imagine all the emails. Yeah. So some of the things have been very, I've been very happy to hand over. <laughs> and some have kind of pulled at my heartstrings a little bit that I've just had to kind of let that go and let's let it be somebody else's baby within our yeah. organization and, and support that. It's funny, isn't it? Um, there's, there's definitely a... Or there's not a glamorous side to being a CEO or a founder of, of like you said, of any small organization. But, but you know that you know the CEO of an organization taking the registrations for a fun run. You know that's sort of funny. You wouldn't imagine, or you wouldn't that wouldn't be heard of in a large charity at all. <laughs> you know, um, so it is. It is. Um, it is so different in so many ways, but so many wonderful ways because you're always, um, you can be quite in touch with, you know, the, 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 your supporters. Um, I'm sure over the years there were people that did it multiple times so you could get to recognise some of their names and those sorts of things. So it's really lovely to be able to have that connection, I think. Um, well, and again, I know we're probably going to get into Connor's run, but while you're talking... I call it my RCD, so Robert Connor Dawes and our initials. I call it my RCD OCD. I <laughs> still, we might change things a little bit next year, but I get an email for everybody who registers, as, as does the woman who's now doing the customer service, <laughs> and, uh, every registration and every donation. Yeah. And I, just, I like, because in the beginning I pretty much knew everyone, but I also know who hasn't registered. Yep. So in weirdly in my mind I'm like, oh, I don't think those people have registered because I've actually looked at every registration and yep. also donations. You can learn a lot just seeing trends of when people are donating, why they're donating, who they're donating to. And and then that sort of has helped shape a lot of uh, our ideas around that space. Yeah. Yeah, it's so exciting. That's good. Um, what What's your best piece of advice to help others on their journey of being small but mighty? I think your purpose. Why do you exist? And I think that can be a very short for us. It's helping change the odds for pediatric brain cancer. But when we were, again, all this brand new to me and somebody made the observation maybe after our second year they said, this is a wonderful legacy to your son. And I hadn't really thought of that. But yes, absolutely. Um, and a lot, lot, lot of what we do is genuine to him. So from a marketing standpoint, Connor did Connor's run once. He hated running. <laughs> One time he ran. Uh, and it was so uncharacteristic. And people sort of don't know that unless they know the story. Uh, he loved the color yellow, so all the volunteers have a yellow T-shirt. But yellow and gold is the color of children's cancer awareness, which mm. is of September, which is when we have the run. So that was a very serendipitous, you know, event that that mm. was, had that in common. Um, you know, Connor, we have in May we have something called Go Gray in May, and that is for Brain Cancer Awareness Month. So we sort of anchor between those two months our events, um, 
But Connor was a quirky intellect, so we applaud things like Rubik's Cube, chess, uh, Sudoku, uh, spelling bees, uh, really engaging your mind in a positive way, helping young kids that are going through something terrible with their own brain. So, yeah, so I keep it true to what you're doing and also your events and who you are and how you're defined. Uh, I think it's really important because there's so much noise out there. You've got to sort of carve out your own niche. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think that's something that we talk to um, organizations about a lot is making sure that not only do you know your why and, and the reason why you're doing stuff, but that you can articulate it to, you know, your audience and to the general community or the wider, wider community um, so they understand it too. So then you've got a point of difference, yeah. um, which helps in terms of, you know, the large number of charities out there that so many great causes doing so many wonderful things um, and, you know, needed thing, gaps in services and, and community offerings, but um, you need to be able to, resonate with people that's for sure um so you've told us a little bit about connor already um and obviously you have quite a personal story behind the foundation as it was named in memory of your son um what else can you tell us about him his name's he you know the organization's robert connor Dawes foundation but obviously he was called connor i'm guessing a lot, yes, lot more. It, it might be an american thing his father is Robert Scott, but everybody calls him Scott. His grandfather was actually Robert, and they called him Robert. <laughs> it was a bit of a, a family tradition, and we hemmed and hawed. Uh, but I'm actually Mary Elizabeth, but I go by Liz. So both my husband and I had that sort of weird thing, and then we did it to our firstborn. <laughs> the, next, the next two actually go by their actual first names. Um, but he, interesting, he often referred to himself as RCD. Really? Yeah. He was um, 17 when he was diagnosed, 18 when he passed away. But he was he was quite entertaining. But he often signed RCD as his signature. We've got a lot of those. So I love that. You know, he was the original RCD. Yeah. And sometimes we sort of forget that in and amongst running the foundation. Um, what else can I tell you? He was a game loving, online game loving, so both board, but also online digital games, a voracious reader. And so there were things that I felt such kinship with him. I love reading. And probably when he was in about year seven or year eight, books that I would read, like Life of Pi, which the book is called Q&A, the, um, no, I'm sorry, Q&A, which was Slumdog Millionaire, Life of Pi, yeah. uh, the book Thief, certain books that I was reading, I knew he would love. Um, and that was a wonderful connection. Um, and he just always had a zest for learning, which having him as your first child, going to museums, going to plays, uh, going to the library. I mean, going to the library for Connor as a young child was probably other young boys would have rather gone to the footy field and kicked a footy around. But but you kind of get to know your own child, and that suited me. I thought that was quite fun. Um, (laughs) He didn't really care about being the best in his class, (laughs) and that's where our mother-son relationship, there was probably a bit of a (laughs) rough. 
<laughs> bit of tension there. <laughs> tension because I'm like, if you're smart, why wouldn't you actually try to do what? And he said, well, I'm just learning to learn. I don't, you know, he didn't, he was a very interesting, and teachers found him probably equal to me, fascinating and frustrating. <laughs> but he was a lot of fun. He had a great sense of fun. Uh, and his friends just adored him. He was very accepting, very non-judgmental. Uh, I like to say he left us with a lot of material. Um, so, you know, when he did pass away, he, you know, he, that he rode um, and wanted to row at Stanford University. Um, you know, who says that? And, and actually was going through the application process. Mm. And, and, you know, after he passed away, we created a wonderful event, a rowing event with Stanford and Wisconsin, where, where we're from. So, um, yeah, he was pretty great. That's so lovely. And it, it's so interesting that you said earlier, you know, that it was a couple of years in that somebody else said to you about it being a legacy to him, but that you hadn't consciously sort of thought of that in the process of doing, you know, what you were doing with setting up the foundation. You were obviously just, uh, you know, I'm guessing had the, the purpose of, well, we need to start making a difference about paediatric brain cancer more so than I need to do something in memory of, well, you know, was, of him. Yes, it was always everything, obviously, the name, our events were very, yeah. very much about him. But it's, when somebody framed it that way, I thought, yeah, yeah, it just sort of fit. And interestingly, a couple of years after that, I, I just had that legacy name in my mind um in the beginning when we started connor's run it was literally you know we live in the bayside suburbs of melbourne our kids uh, go to you know the boys went to brighton grammar our daughter went to Furbank. uh so those communities those school communities and, and the bayside community that was really connor's run it's very very different now and well still very much at its core mm has obviously grown and has gone well beyond here. But families have started to connect with us in our event who have either lost a child or their child's going through it. And that is so special to me. Mm. That has, in the last two or three years, that has changed my whole thinking about what we're doing and why we're doing it. And we've actually created legacy ambassadors. Oh. Um, and those are celebrating those families, again, living children or children the families have lost. And because I know how important it is to see, uh, to have something that feels real uh, for us. And I know that these communities are getting around those families. They don't know Connor. You know, I suppose they're happy we have our foundation, but they're really doing it for that community's child. Yeah. Um, and I, I understand that because... Mm -hmm. I, I know that is so much a part of us. So that it took me a while in grief to be able to uh, let my heart get involved with these other families because it's, you know, yeah, totally. it's pretty heavy stuff and these beautiful children. But then I have to think, well, that is why we're here and that's why we're doing what we're doing. Mm. Yeah, it's so powerful, it's so powerful. Um, Interesting that you just sort of touched on some of those things in the, the next thing that I wanted to ask you because I've seen your TED Talk um, and a few other, you know, pieces of um, your messages and things that you've shared online 
Um, and in particular in your TED talk, you say that you love what you do, but you hate why you're doing it. And I remember when I first heard you say that, I, you know, that statement in itself is heartbreaking and inspiring all at once. Like, and it's not even that many words in that, in that few, you know, few short words in that sentence. So establishing the, the foundation, you know, during what would have been an unimaginable period of such grief for yourself and your family. And, you know, you have, as you've mentioned, you have two other children that you were, I'm, you know, assuming being a mother to and, and support, trying to support them through it. So it would have been so much going on for your, for your family. So that's really, really difficult. Um, and I think it's through that difficulty that, um, is the inspiration as well. Um, but what inspires you to keep being able to do, do that work through those really early, you know, in sort of setting it up and in those early, um, stages, but also now as you continue on. I love ideas and I love creativity and I love a challenge. So all those three things together, this foundation has given me that in spades. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, think, I think Connor and I often think of all the challenges you could have left me with. He, he was young. He used to say, Mom, you're good at everything. You know, I'm like, no, I'm not. But thank you for thinking that I am. <laughs> so he just thought, you know, anyway, that's all part of why it feels so nice to be doing this in his memory. But it just suits my personality. I, you know, just the events that we have and trying to, the marketing, our branding. I love branding. And we have been on a massive learning curve. Mm. So, um, you know, when we started, I had said we, it was, there was a, a young uh, man, he was our neighbor in, in Bayside. He was our children's babysitter, but he is a fantastic marketer. And he really helped us those first couple of years. He got us set up on Trello, on Dropbox, on shared documents. So we were way ahead of COVID. We were, were well and truly prepared for all of that. Um, and that was sort of great. I mean, I, lo I love what technology can do. Um, I'm fascinated. I'm fascinated with the social media aspect, um, the tailoring your messages for your for who you're trying to, you know, get your message to, whether it's a, a family or the research environment or somebody wanting to do your events. Um, I just find all that, um, I really like it. And I've been extremely, extremely fortunate over the last seven years to very slowly, very carefully build an amazing team. Mm. And nobody's full-time. Everybody's permanent part-time, three days. Um, but my gosh, they're great. They give. They're talented. They're fun. Um, and, and I love that as well. Mm. It's amazing. You um, you do sound like you really know your stuff. You know, you do, you're across all those things. It's, um, it's really exciting um, to hear, you know, to hear the enthusiasm and excitement in your, in your voice when we're talking now as well about, you know, about those sorts of things because... <laughs> But you do I, need you, you do need that enthusiasm about that about that sort of stuff because it's very important to have it's this. Very important, but I I don't want to. People are listening, going, "Oh my gosh, what's Trello? Oh my gosh, what's?" It's just the way we have worked because we don't have an office, mm. so we have been virtual. Yeah, and that's, I had you know I'm a bit older. I spent my 
20 years in an office, <laughs> um, maybe not quite that long as I was starting to have kids and cutting back, but a good 15 years. And I just did not want to be held mm. to nine to five, eight to four personally. And I thought, well, I'll just try to find other people who are at the same stage of their lives. I've got some great young women. One's a young mom um, who, you know, again, working, looking for a bit of a work-life balance. Uh, people who might do our work for us and do some other things. Um, so it's super flexible, but that, that works for me. But I just wanted to say it is always a learning curve. Yeah. I'm talking about this digital marketing it is mind-blowing, and I would never say I am on top of it. I would say I understand it's important, and I'm just, yeah, just trying to figure it all out as we go. Yeah. Uh, the tricky stuff with the digital things is it's forever changing as well, like what you're meant to do and best practice and social media, it's always changing, so, that's, so that is really tricky. And there's um, so much of it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's it's funny. I'm on the board of a small organisation um, as well that I volunteer with, and, and we're a virtual organisation. But so we've had some of those, and we've always been. It's always been a virtual organisation. We do some community development overseas, so there's no office here. Um, so it's always been virtual. So for us, um, the whole COVID, you know, world didn't really rock our world too much in terms of you know shifting our processes and practices. But I think, you know, and I've talked to a few friends about this that, have, that work in the corporate world, I think this year's really um, put a lot of businesses through the ringer in terms of having that work-life balance and, and offering work-from-home opportunities. And I think um, I think more businesses um, and, and other organisations, but, you know, it's the commercial world, I think, that sometimes is a bit more strict on those things. I think it has really shifted a bit, so it'll be interesting to see where it goes because that flexibility and work-life balance is, is really important, for not just in a non-profit, but, um, you know, for everybody, I think. And I think especially in Melbourne this year. I think that's one thing that we've all learned, that's well, for sure. One thing, again, with people listening that have their own small NFPs, I would say to look at their networks and help with strategy, help with doing reviews on certain types of uh, certain things you're looking at. Um, use your networks to just see. Is somebody, you don't need to go to a Deloitte or a KPMG, obviously, you know, I know they do some of that, but it's expensive. And mm. But there might be somebody that did that or is still doing it and is happy to give you two hours of their time. Um, people are really generous if you don't ask too much. Yeah. <laughs> I find all, everyone's willing to help. And also advice is cheap. So that would be another thing is, you know, when you're getting advice and help, make sure you trust who's giving you that advice. And then you have to also sort of filter it and decide, okay, I understand that advice, but is that working for me, for where I am, and for where our organization is? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So we've touched a little bit already um, around Connor's Run. So Connor's Run is one of your main fundraising activities. And as you mentioned earlier, it's a running event that's been held in September each year in Melbourne. So it started in 2013, is my understanding, and you had about a thousand people participate. And you raised over a thousand, just over a hundred thousand dollars, right? Yeah. Which is a pretty 
a pretty fine effort for a first year event. I know there'd be lots of people listening to this and lots of our members on the, um, in the small nonprofit alliance that would love to have a hundred thousand dollar event for their first for their first year. But what's also um, so incredible is over the years since then how much it's grown. Um, obviously, this year as many charities have had to do um, with the COVID-19 pandemic. We've had to switch a lot of things that were face-to-face -face or live events in environment. So you've obviously had to reimagine how Connor's run would look and um, how you'd be able to connect with people and engage. So can you tell us a little bit more about how you did, how you went about that? Well, it, we had an emergent, well, we were about to launch Connor's run in April. <laughs> okay, yeah. in September, and we were just ready to send out our invites to our launch event, and then we invite all the sponsors and people who are on the committee, and we get everybody, our ambassadors, we've got some great ambassadors, and we have a bit of a kickoff, and the event goes live, uh, but we had an emergency board meeting, and one woman in particular who's very, very talented, and I will also say this to NFPs who are listening, I had never been on a board I had never, I'm the chairman of our board, massive learning curve. But again, getting people from a wide background, you know, not just putting your friends and, you know, neighbors, but really trying to find people that are good at certain areas. So this particular woman's fantastic finance, and she's amazing. Um, but she just said, listen, this is a global pandemic. Nothing is the same. Because mm. I said, oh, well, we'll just wait see how we go, we'll just start taking reservations. And she's like, absolutely not. And mm -hmm. she said, I'm, I'm actually suggesting you might have to think about canceling the event. And when she said that, I just was like, oh, cancel? No, we can't. And I'm just like, oh, no, our beloved event. Um, <laughs> so my mind went totally into that reimagined mode. And that is part of the TED Talk is, you know, this reframe, reimagine, recommit, reaffirm. Um, so I'm just like, wait, so my head started spinning and I immediately on that call started going, well, we can still have it and just let people do it their own way. And that was sort of that phone call. And we had, you know, the board's like, take it back to your team, sort something out, but definitely you're not launching and definitely there's not going to be a mass gathering of an event. Yeah. So then we just brainstormed as a group, and we went away from the one day. I think our day was the 15th of September, and I was afraid to, to um, announce that day because I thought we're going to get in trouble if we're encouraging people to go out on one day when we can only be out in pairs or who even knew. We didn't even know. That was before we had yeah. Yeah, yeah. lockdown 2.0 um, in Melbourne. Um, so then we were just like, you know what, let's just let people do whatever they want, the whole month of September, your way, any day. We kind of had a couple of different words, but that one sort of stuck. And honestly, people had embraced that. We were blown away. So the year before, we had 5,000 people and raised almost like around 1.2 million, which we were thrilled. And we thought, again, what are we going to budget? And we scaled it right back to 500,000. Yeah. And we thought if we get half the people to raise half the money, it'll be amazing. Yeah, you're doing really well, absolutely. Wow. But, you know, honestly, especially here in Melbourne, although this year we had our biggest participation from rural areas, from interstate, um, teams were doing it, you know, medical teams in Adelaide, doctors, a doctor's group in Hobart, 
um, you know, big cycling group in, uh, in uh, Queensland and giving people flexibility, but also something to do. Yeah. It, it resonated. So now I'm a bit worried about next year already. Yeah. Um, but I think, I think next year, everything going according to plan will now have a hybrid. And I think yeah. that's people have learned through COVID what's worked, what hasn't. This seems to have resonated. I know people want the actual event. I think because we've had it for so many years, people didn't want it to fail, which was nice. I think they were coming around to support us. And that, you know, I know a lot of people who had balls then try to do walks and runs, but we've always, this is our event. So I think staying true to that helped yeah. us out. Yeah. That's, um, it, it, it's interesting. It, I sort of was giggling to myself when you were, you know, when you're thinking, oh, well, we can't launch now, but maybe we'll do it later. I know I remember late March, early April, like all that, all the thinking around what was happening with this global pandemic. And I was meant to be going to New York at the end of March. And it was like a few days right before we were meant to get on the plane that we sort of thought, oh, maybe it's not such a good idea. And that was just before the Australian government closed the borders. But even at that point, we were like umming and ahhing about it. And then... And then we were saying, it'll be all right. We'll probably just be able to go in September. <laughs> like, it was just so interesting the way things have sort of unfolded, I guess. Um, but but what I was going to say um, was we, we for the charity that I'm on the board of, we have um, two of our main events, their dinners, one in Canberra, one in Sydney, and they're in March. And we pulled the pin on them. We had a board meeting and pulled the pin on those um a few weeks before the government made, you know, their announcements around it. But so we were very comfortable with our decision when it was reaffirmed by the government. But there, but there was that stage where you were not really sure what to do and everyone was getting a bit nervous about it. But um, it does seem like you, um, maybe because you had that board member that made you make that decision really early on that you were able then to have the time to think it through September from a Melbourne perspective was probably great because everyone, like you said, was in lockdown 2.0 and we're all going a little crazy. So having a really meaningful reason to get out and about in the community is, um, or, you know, within your five kilometre radius is a nice thing. Um, But I think conversely being able to, sorry. Well, I was going to say we really engaged socially. Yeah. Probably more than we had previously. Yeah. Um, But we, you know, and that's, that was probably another takeaway learning lesson. We had more time to do that because we weren't so engrossed in the physical event. Logistics, yeah. Logistics, yep. we weren't getting, you know, ground down by all the thousands of details. So it sort of gave us a bit of free space to think about engaging differently. Mm. I think one thing that's really interesting for charities that I've sort of, you know, felt a little bit, seen a little bit is that, you know, non-profit organisations are always so um, under so much pressure to do well and to raise the most money with the least amount of dollars and it's really, really tough. So people's willingness to take risks is sometimes not always there. Um, so, But I think over the past six or, you know, eight months, whatever it's been, some organisations have just gone, oh, well, you know, we'll just may as well try because we're not going to 
you know, it's probably, we're going to get zero if we don't do something and we may as well do something. So I think a lot of organisations have been dabbling in new ideas and things like that. And it's been really great to see because there's been, I think because everyone just thought, oh, well, everyone's going to go bad. It doesn't really matter if we go bad too because everyone's doing the same thing. So I think that fear or and whether it's an overt fear or, um, you know, it's a bit of an unknown fear, but people I think have been able to be more willing to, to try new things and to just say, oh, well, we'll just give it a crack and see what happens. And that's been really exciting from a from an overall sort of non-profit space um, because I don't think uh, non-profits are always, you know, I don't think we're always so great at taking risks, which is sad because when you take risks, you know, and you be creative, really great things can happen. And as you um, and your team have shown with uh, this year's Connor's Run, um, as you mentioned, it's, it was your biggest ever. You had over 4,000 people raise over $1.3 million. So your $500,000 target that you halved to try and just meet, you completely smashed that one out of the water and beat last year's, you know, personal best. And it's so satisfying because we're funding all this research that we had to tell people we'll just wait and see how we do. Um, we're, we're able to invest a little bit in infrastructure Yep. So we've got, you know, over 20,000 names in a database now because of Commerce Run over the years. Um, our CRM certainly isn't strong and certainly, you know, like probably many, many small NFPs, it's like, you know, how do you manage CRM? So we're deciding to do a little housekeeping yep. to take, you know, a very small percentage, but something we hope can help build a better platform we're, we're moving fundraising platforms we've actually just done that um and we're going to invest in crm again just around helping us understand who who is engaging with us how are they engaging what do they look like how should we communicate with them so again that goes back to that digital marketing side of it um but it's it's nice because if we had had the year we thought we were going to have we were just going to squeak by and sort yeah. of hold on to our hat. But it's, it's you know, I know in all the terrible, terrible COVID, that has been a, a silver lining for us, and I'm very grateful. I think mm. help us hopefully now uh, just go from, we hope, strength to strength moving forward. Yeah, and like you said, you've got new names on your database, but it's also opened, because you opened it up to a virtual event, well, then you didn't have to be Bayside, Melbourne to come along. You could actually be anywhere. And as you mentioned, you had people from all different parts of Australia uh, participate, which is which is fabulous. And this is a really small thing, but again, how you sort of learn. So we always had our T-shirts. 5,000 people would come and collect them the week or two weeks before. We would deliver corporate teams. Um, but that was quite a big undertaking. Well, this year we weren't going to – that was another big discussion. It's like, are people going to pay to have their T-shirts delivered? And we you went through this whole thing trying to keep it as cheap as possible or least expensive. Um, and that has worked out so well. And people are so used to paying postage now. Mm. So used to having things delivered. But what it meant is now we have everybody's addresses. Mm -hmm. We had to get their mobile numbers, which we had never asked for before. We were always afraid to ask. Yeah. But I feel like now, a couple years down the line, we're bigger you know, we're asking because yeah. so this is the first year we did an SMS, to, you know, uh, message versus an email. Again, just trying to break through how we connect with people. 
Yeah. Not, not just everything via email. And I think yeah. for NFPs listening, email is just one way to communicate, just like you're doing with this podcast. People like yeah. their information in different ways. So, um, you know, we, we try to think about that as well. Yeah, that's so true. That's so true, Liz. I think making sure we listen to our supporters and our donors around how they want to engage. So if you've got some of them responding via SMS, that's great. If some of them are clicking the stop, you know, don't rep- don't write me any more SMSs, then you just note that down and having the right CRM to help you manage all of that is really good because I think just with anything, I, I mean, it's um, it's human nature that we all like things certain in certain ways or in a different manner or we take on board information in, in different ways. So being able to listen, I think, to our supporter base and to understand and learn what they want and give them a few different options is a really great way to, to show that you're valuing who they are as individuals, not just as one big you know, group of people like a, you know, like you've just got one big mass of donors, you've actually got hundreds or, you know, whether it's 50 individual people or, you know, 500 or 50,000, they're all individual people. So we do need to think about how we can communicate with them in those ways, I think. Yes. So Connor's Run also has some really great ambassadors. You've got, um, you know, comedian Dave Hughes, for one, who's very popular, Melbourne, um, comedian and I know he's known across most parts of the country as well how were you able as a smaller not-for-profit how were you able to secure the support of such influential people well one by one and again when we started I met with this great woman Mary McGowan at RCH probably won't she might listen to this who knows she's divine and she said so who are your ambassadors and I actually wrote it down ambassadors question mark no idea I said well who, who are they what, what what do they do and she said oh you just find people that might you know connect with what you are and do and blah and so the first person I thought of was James Tompkins who's one of the uh very famous Australian rowers because mm-hmm. I love rowing and that's why that's why Connor's run happened because he ran from our house to the boat, boat sheds in the city uh, and I was so nervous and through somebody who knew somebody who knew somebody, I was able to meet him for, he said, I've got 15 minutes for a coffee. I'm like, oh my God. And the first thing I said, which is so embarrassing is, oh my gosh, you're so tall. (laughs) I thought this is not going well. Anyway, uh, he very, very nicely said yes, as long as it didn't require a lot of time. And I think these people have, are very busy. And I think we were really fortunate to get him. And then Lisa McCune's daughter went to my daughter's school, didn't know she was, I went and talked to the year twos, and she went home and said to her mom, there's this really nice mom, she lost her son, and I think she needs my help, as in the little, her daughter. And so Lisa came to uh, an event we had and introduced herself, and again, so nervous, and I thought, oh, should I ask her, not ask her? And honestly, she was lovely and said yes. So I, I, I sort of understand now and Dave Hughes also was funny. We were at, we have a an alliance with our footy, the SMJFL, which is a big footy, kids footy around here. We had our version of our beanies for brain cancer, mm-hmm. um, which we saw obviously a much, much smaller amount than Carrie Bigmore, but still had them and we're doing something with the footy. And we were doing a, a, a bit of a photo shoot with Andy McGraw, who's another ambassador, plays for Essendon, gorgeous young guy. And... 
a woman who was with us said, I think that's Dave Hughes getting a sausage on the barbecue at the footy. I sort of knew who he was, didn't really know. I ran out and said, Dave, we're filming something. The kids with brain cancer, do you want to be part of it? It'll take a second. And he said, sure. Um, and then and then it turns out that he's from Warrnambool and we have a lovely relationship with a family who lost a young girl, Pippa Ray. And uh, so that was another sort of connection to him. But my, my advice for ambassadors is keep it really simple. Even if they do one thing for you a year, Connors Run's obviously the big thing we ask of them. And then I pretty much say, I leave them alone. I don't share their, con- you know, I know they don't want to be harassed or, you know, they're very generous, very happy to help. Yeah. Yeah, so that's fine. I'd work through your networks and they don't yeah. have to be super. We have Felix Zemdegs, who's the world Rubik's Cube champion. <laughs> and I just love having him involved. He's a whole different... Uh, you know, because Connor loved a Rubik's Cube. Yeah. I think it's interesting because sometimes um, people think about, oh, who's the most famous person, you know, in the whatever, in the Melbourne or in the area. And it's not – I mean, yes, you want someone with some publicity and some profile, but a lot of it is also about who are their networks. So the fellow – was it Felix, did you say his name yeah. is? So yeah. Felix would have a completely different following. Massive to to Dave Hughes or to whoever else or to Lisa McCune, and you wouldn't have reached those people without that sort of person. So it is important, I think, when people are thinking about ambassadors is think about who are their networks and, and what part of the community do they reach into um, because that's then how you'll be able to, you know, mix into that. So I think that's always always really good. So that's good. It's it's so great to hear that. I like that Dave Hughes was just having a sausage at the footy. <laughs> that's a great story. Um, so in just before we wrap up, um, what would be um, some of your top tips to help others? You've already, you know, been peppering this whole conversation with lots of tips and I really appreciate that and I know our listeners will um, be loving it. So what are um, some of your top tips to help others who um, might be continuing to transform some of their live events into virtual events over the coming months? Well, okay, I'll, but before I'll, I'll answer that, but one thing that, again, all this has been a massive learning curve, but something I figured out might have been a year or two into it was that we are advocating for kids with brain cancer. So in advocating... That doesn't mean having money. I remember meeting a woman who had some brain cancer research being done at Royal Children's, and I'm like, well, how much are you, are you, you know, how much is that costing to fund that? And she said, no, I just met with them and said it was really important, so I got them to do it. And I thought, oh, okay, that's zero dollars. Um, and so that advocating has been a really big light bulb for me. So we find partners so we are fundraising in ways that I think are unique to us, but there are, Carrie Pickmore is a really great example. She's got a huge following. She's raising money on her own platform, but giving the money is really hard. So I think everybody listening who's got an NFP, getting the money in hard and then figuring out how to best spend that money, also hard. Mm-hmm. So on that second part, the spending the money, I've gotten much better about approaching charities, the Mark Hughes Foundation, Carrie Bickmore, the federal government, other smaller charities to say, this is something we believe in, more money into clinical trials, more money into testing for kids, 
more money into basic research. This is what we believe it costs. You can either join with us directly or you can fund independently, but it's still going into the same bucket. Mm. So, you know, we're not, we're not a publicly traded company. People say, oh, you need to be X amount of size and have X amount of employees. I'm like, no, we actually don't. We can, mm. and this is back to that nimble, you know, small and nimble. Yeah. Um, it's actually easier. If you want to donate $100,000 directly, great. That's $100,000 we don't have to do. Yeah. And I think if you develop that mindset, you start collaborating in really unique ways. Um, and you start breaking down that sort of charity, you know, any of that competition. I'm not interested in competing with other brain cancer charities because mm-hmm. we all have the same cause. So we can, you know, we're doing pediatrics, so I'm not going to step on, you know, the adult sector toes. There's a, a big lunch, the million-dollar lunch for kids with cancer in Melbourne. We're not going to have that. You know, that's already happening. So mm-hmm. I think you can find ways that really come together. Um, so that would be one thing that's been massive for me, Mm. a really interesting way to look at yourself. And it's also when you were talking about like keeping your costs down and you know, how NFPs are judged. I think people have to understand this advocating space does cost money. I mean, we're doing it probably very uh, efficiently, effectively, uh, but there might be people making massive changes within their ability to influence government, government spending, um, and do that versus raising lots of money at an event. And then, you know, um, so that's one thing. And then just in terms of the next 12 months, oh, I don't know. As <laughs> 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 you were talking, we did this, our Go Gray in May online. It was not nearly as much fun as when we could actually do it with schools. Um, I'm hoping, you know, we we don't have to do that again next year. So as as great as some of this sort of COVID stuff has been, it is going to be nice to actually get up and do real things. But I think you have to stay present. So I would say that, that again, if, if you don't want to be across, you know, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, for goodness sakes, what is it? Um, but I think you need to at least have one of those. Yeah. that you feel that you're doing a good job at and just staying relevant. Yeah. I think content, now I'm, I'm thinking so much about content because it's, that's hard work. People mm. are, oh, you need to post three times a week or across all, and I'm like, wait, three times a week across all these different, I mean, <laughs> content, you know. So that is a big job. So I would say just even, depending on your size, just make a really simple digital plan, but you, you definitely should have one if we don't. Yeah. Liz, you are a woman of my own heart talking about planning and things like that. I love it. <laughs> but like you said, it's been a learning curve for you over the years and as and for all of us, I think, in all um, aspects of life, not just our professional lives, but, you know, as humans, we're always learning things. So it's I think it's really good to be able to embrace that that side of, of, you know, who we are as individuals as well. 
But um, I thank you so much for your time today. It's been an absolute delight talking to you, an absolute delight. Like I mentioned earlier, I have followed um, the story of your organisation and, and how Connor's run has sort of developed over the years a bit from a distance. So it's been, um, it's been a real honour to have you talk with me today on our podcast and I know you will have given so many great insights and, um, you know, pieces of advice to our listeners um, and as and I can definitely see, um, you know, that you don't like the reason why you do what you do but you do love what you do. Um, but I think obviously I didn't meet, meet your son but if you don't mind me saying, I think he would be extremely proud of the work that you're doing and of the foundation because it's it's amazing and the amount of money that's been raised and the awareness that has been given to paediatric brain cancer has just been fabulous. So um, just, thank you so much. Well, you're welcome. And I'll just end, if there are mothers listening, there are, and I used to say this to Connor, there are jobs mothers will do for their children that they wouldn't do for anyone else. <laughs> and I must think of that every day. The energy I have to do this you know, for what he went through in his disease and what was taken from him, I feel like this is the least I can do. And if I can make a tiny, tiny little bit of difference in the world, then it's been worth it. Mm. Yeah, you're making more than a tiny difference. I'm pretty sure about that. But um, it's, it's really nice to chat with you today. Thank you so much for your time, Liz. Thank you. Thank you.